0: Well, it is December 23rd, which means the Mayans were wrong. (laughs) Yes, and (laughs) I hope you weren't counting on their calendar and you went, oh no, now I have to Christmas shop. (laughs) But honestly, December 23rd, and I can't believe it's already December 23rd because I feel like two days ago, Uh, my kids started back to school, and I feel like yesterday I had Thanksgiving dinner, and now Christmas is here, and it just has just flown by, and I don't know if that's the sense that you get, but man, this season just comes quickly. Um, Honestly, for me, the only thing that drags at this point of the year um, is the fact that I have to listen to the same 10 to 12 Christmas songs on the radio all the time, uh, I feel like, and I'm not Scrooge, contrary to what my children think, uh, but I feel like Christmas music has like this two week window that you could, you know, really listen and be excited about Christmas music because I have a low tolerance for songs like "The Little Drummer Boy" or other. I, I know, seriously, like, but think about "The Little Drummer Boy" for just a minute. Your wife has just given birth in a barn, and you finally get the little guy to sleep, and then somebody shows up at your door with a drum set, right? And he wants to play, and you're like, well, why don't you pum 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 somewhere else, okay? You know, don't wake the child up, right? That, I don't know. The ox and lamb kept time, <laughs> Some very talented farm animals in that song. That's what drags for me. But the rest of the time just flies by. But if you're a child, it's my guess that this season is slow. As a matter of fact, kids say the same phrase this time of year. They say, this is taking forever. Now, I know they say that a lot, like at dinner time, or when you're in the car or when they're doing homework or when they're at school or when you ask them to clean the room but and so on. But this time of year, this is taking forever. This morning when I got up to come here, there's a little flashlight in my youngest daughter's room just zipping around the ceiling, and I walk in and I'm like, Hannah, why are you up? And she said, Dad, it's Christmas Eve, Eve. (laughs) And I said, right, that means you should be sleeping. And she said, this is taking forever. But the reality is, right, that it's, it's not taking forever, that, that it's going to come, and all of the preparations, all of the present buying and wrapping and, and cooking and all of that stuff will, will kind of come, and Christmas will come, and it will be over at nine in the morning. <laughs> Typically, right? And it, it'll come, and, and it, it will happen, and it doesn't take forever, and, and we will continue on with our lives, and back to work, and students, you will at some point go back to school, and the seasons will start again. It, it doesn't take forever. I want to talk about what really lasts forever this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. If you just want to grab one out of the pew rack there, it's on page 1085, and in, in the middle of these passages in Isaiah of gloom and darkness and judgment and warning comes this passage of hope, comes this passage that says a light is dawning, there there is good on the horizon. So Isaiah 9, starting in verse 6, it says this, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. We're in this series. God with us. And we, we heard about our wonderful counselor, that we have a God who plans in perfect wisdom. And last week, Steve talked to us about mighty God, a God who is able to accomplish this plan that he has. He's our hero God. He's our rescuer. He's the God that came so that we might have life and that we might have joy. That's our mighty God. Today, we're going to talk about everlasting Father, a God who doesn't plan at the expense of his people. Christmas Eve, we'll talk about the Prince of Peace, about peace being wholeness, about all of this so that that God came to make us whole. Jesus came so that we could be whole. But this morning, we're gonna talk about this phrase, everlasting father. And it's, it's one of those phrases that's, that's different and yet it's familiar. We, we understand the word father, but we don't necessarily understand it in connection with Jesus. And we understand what the role of father is, but we can't wrap our minds around eternity. And so we come to this phrase maybe with a little baggage. Honestly, I came to this phrase a little bit nervous because as I kind of read through these and I was like, yeah, wonderful counselor, Jesus, mighty God, Jesus, everlasting father, that's God, um, prince of peace, Jesus. But we know that this passage is about Jesus. And so it's not meant to confuse us. Everlasting Father wasn't meant to tell us how the Trinity relates to themselves. There is still God the Father, and there is still God the Son. But the phrase Everlasting Father is about how Jesus relates to us, about how he has a Father's heart, about how some of his role, his responsibility is that very thing, Father. But there's more to it in this phrase, obviously, and really the key word in this phrase is the word everlasting. This time of year, we always think of Jesus as infant. But we need to remember Jesus as infinite. That sure, that he had a birth on earth, and he was a child, and he grew to be a man, and and he has a father's heart, but he is eternal. Colossians chapter one says this. He existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus is eternal, and this phrase, everlasting father, literally translated means father of eternity, That Jesus is the father of eternity. Let me explain it to you this way. We'll take a little quiz here. I want to show you a picture. This is Santa Claus. And sometimes we call him Father Christmas. Right? Okay. So who would this be then? Father time. Right. Very good. This next picture is uh, George Washington. He is the father of our country. Right? Yes. The next picture here is James Brown. He's the godfather of soul. All right, we'll move on from there. <laughs> Not sure that's biblical. <clears throat> but to call somebody the father of wisdom or the, the father of our country is to ascribe that characteristic to them or to say that they were instrumental in the founding of that discipline or, or that movement. So when we say of Jesus, everlasting father, what we're saying is that he is the father of eternity. That, that he is eternal. Jesus is, is not just a child born into time. You know, we read this story, and it's an amazing story, but th- that was not the beginning of Jesus. Jesus is the father of eternity. Time did not bring him into being. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He is independent, he is self-sustained, he is uncreated. He didn't have that beginning. Revelation 4, 8 says, the one who always was, who is, and who still is to come. And this is so important for us to remember this. It's so important that built into our understanding of who Jesus is, is this eternity peace. Because there are earthly kings and there are earthly leaders. And some of them are good and some of them are not so good. Some of them bring joy and prosperity. Some of them bring despair. Some of them are a blessing and some of them are a curse. But the thing about earthly kings and earthly leaders is they only rule for a short period of time. Their kingdoms come to an end. Percy Shelley wrote a poem um, about Ramses II, possibly the greatest pharaoh that there was, And, and he had seen this statue that somebody had found out in the desert, and it was this kind of shattered, broken statue, and it didn't have legs, it was just kind of the top half of it, and the pedestal where it once stood with this inscription on it, and so, Halfway through the poem, you read this, the inscription on this, it said, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. You know, so this, Ramses who thought, man, I am it. I am, he says, king of kings. Look at me in despair. And then the rest of the poem says, nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far and away. There is an inevitable decline to earthly leaders. Their kingdoms will rise and their kingdoms will fall. And when we are subjects under an earthly king that way, we are never sure of our position. We are never sure of our stability. We are never sure of our future when we are under an earthly king or an earthly leader because we do not know what that's gonna happen. We do not know what decisions that leader is going to make but it's not that way with Jesus. There is a hope and a trust when you are under the kingship of Jesus because he is the father of eternity and the way that an earthly leader's kingdom rises and falls does not happen with Jesus. I went to see a movie last weekend and as I sat through the previews, which were just as long as the movie, I noticed something and uh, I wanna share with you. I have some bad news according to these previews. The world is in big trouble there is some type of cataclysmic event that is going to destroy the earth. Aliens are invading, um, zombies, uh, disease. But thankfully, we have Tom Cruise. (laughs) And thankfully, we have Will Smith, who saved the earth every time. But as I looked at that preview, I couldn't believe that Tom Cruise was still saving the earth. He's getting old I don't know how many more times Tom Cruise can save the earth. I don't know if there's gonna be a movie where he's in a walker <laughs> and he's still somehow, just in time, cuts the right wire. I don't know. He's getting old, but our king is not. Our wonderful counselor, our mighty God does not grow old. Daniel 7 says his rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Psalm 145 puts it this way. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout generations. We're used to things that have a beginning and an end. We're used to things that have seasons, that have cycles. We have a natural progression of age. Jesus does not. We grow tired. We need rest Jesus doesn't. There are so many things that we are unable to do, but Jesus can do all things. He is steadfast. He is consistent. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't take vacation. He doesn't hang out the do not disturb sign. He doesn't veg on the couch and watch reruns. He doesn't buy polyester pants and retire to Florida. He always was. He always is. And he always will be. He is eternal in all of his attributes, in all of his responsibilities, in his might, and in, in his power, in his guarding of his children, in his love for us, in his crowning of his children. Our King, our Savior is eternal. He is everlasting. That's the King that we serve. And I know that we can't wrap our minds around eternity. I mean, when we try and think of eternity, it's one of those things that will just give you a brain pretzel, right? I just can't, you can't do it. And so this past week, as I'm praying about this, I'm like, God, how do I, how do you illustrate eternity? How do you, how do you share it in words? Let let me just give you a a little something. Um, Let's say you had um, a pet bird um, that you found in your backyard. Let's say a Western meadowlark, right, which is the state bird of Oregon, so if you get nothing else out of this message, tuck that little bit away. Western metal art, all right? And let's say you have trained this bird to pick up a piece of sand out of the sandbox in your backyard and fly it around. A single grain of sand. So now you teach this bird, you say, okay, here's the deal. I want you to fly to the moon with that one grain of sand in back and empty this sandbox. So if you're doing the math in your head, it flies about 20 miles an hour. The moon, on average, is 240,000 miles away. Takes about 500 days to get there, 500 days to get back. Let's call it three years. One grain of sand, three years to the moon and back. Now, in a cubic inch of sand, there can be upwards of 300,000 grains of sand. And so, away he goes. And he flies away, one grain of sand, and he comes back. Every three years, you see him, you wave, well done. It takes him about a million years for one cubic inch of sand. To empty your sandbox, it takes billions of years. And when he gets done, you say, hey, I wanna show you something, it's called the West Coast. See all that sand, go. Billions and billions of comings and goings and comings and goings. And then you say, hey look, the East Coast. Oh, and then there's the Sahara Desert, right? Eternity is just beginning. We sing Amazing Grace. We sing when we've been there 10,000 years. I mean, how do you explain eternity but understand that our Savior, our King, is eternal. Jesus is eternal. And his coming, what we celebrate at Christmas, his coming was not just a temporary fix. You know, our Christmas season, it comes and, and it goes and it, it's done. His coming was not a temporary fix. What makes this story so great is that He's eternal. It's a good story if it's wonderful counselor. If we have a God who plans in perfect wisdom, that's good. If He's a mighty God who can accomplish it, that's good. But if it ended, we could say, oh wow, for a season. But it doesn't end. That's what makes this story great. That's what makes this story absolutely amazing. When Gabriel came to Mary, He said, he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That's what everlasting father brings to this storyline. Eternity, the father of eternity, that we have this perfect plan and that God is able to accomplish this plan. And this plan is not at the expense of us. God's plan is not at our expense. And I'll be honest, I know sometimes that it seems like it is. I know sometimes that it seems like life is so difficult and we can't believe that, that what is going on in our worlds is his perfect plan. I mean, we've had a rough couple of weeks in our nation, haven't we? And some things have happened where we're like, wow, I can't believe that went on. I can't believe that happened. God, how can that be your perfect plan? Or you might be struggling. There might be something just terribly wrong in your family right now. Or you might be struggling at work, or you might be struggling at school or or with your friends. Maybe they've let you down. Maybe you've let yourself down. You had big visions of the things that you wanted to accomplish and and this person that you wanted to be, and, and that hasn't necessarily happened, and you just feel like, God, how can this be a perfect plan? It feels like, God, this plan is at my expense. And we view things from such a limited perspective. I had the opportunity three or four months ago to go up to Dornbecker Hospital to meet with a 17-year-old young man who was dying of cancer. And he had had cancer for three and a half, almost four years, and he's 17. And it, it's absolutely so crazy and unfair to think that this amazing young man who was so talented had to wrestle with this. And as I'm going up, driving up, I'm praying, God, what, what is it that I share with him? Like, what can I lay out to a kid who's, who's laying on this bed and, and who's struggling to breathe? What do I lay out? Jesus loves you. It's true. But I felt like God laid on my heart that, you know what, if this was all there was, then yeah, you could be really disappointed. But there's so much more beyond this. That Jesus is the father of eternity. So I got to sit with him and to pray with him and to, and to just lament with him and say, man, I am so sorry for you. But guess what? This life isn't all there is. That we have a king and a savior who has planned for eternity. And I know that that's difficult. And I know we struggle. And I know things don't always look the way that they should look. My wife and I took a group of students to New York City on a missions trip uh, one summer. And and one night on this trip, it was our anniversary, as happens with most of the youth trips I'm on. Uh, Youth pastors should not get married in the summer. Uh, The students sent us off, and we took a cab in New York City, Uh, and it was one of those great, crazy experiences. A cab ride in uh, a big city is awesome, and it's like that kind of, ha, ha, we're going to die, you know, just that kind of in and out and and crazy driving, and, was that a pedestrian or a speed bump? I don't know, Um, and and so that just, it just felt like the streets of New York City just felt like total chaos, right? And just people going everywhere and parking everywhere, and just everything was chaos. Well, while we were there, we had the opportunity to be up uh, in the Empire State Building. What a different vantage point. When you're on top of the Empire State Building and you are looking down, it's just amazing. It's so peaceful. This city that is just crazy and noisy and chaotic, from up there, it's peaceful. And when you look at the roads, there's this this order to it. You can see them all moving at once and all stopping at once. And, and you can just see this whole order kind of when you're up there. If we can kind of have that perspective and understand that, that God has a plan, that, that God has a purpose. And I know sometimes when we're in it, we just feel like it's just absolute chaos. And God, how can you be the wonderful counselor? How can that be? Are you not mighty enough to take care of this for me? Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, it says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. You know, there are things that that God makes beautiful and we just can't comprehend how he's going to do that. Like God, how could you take this situation and make it beautiful, but God can. It says he planted eternity in the human heart, but he's given us this longing for eternity, this desire for eternity. He's planted that inside of us. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That we can't see the entire work of God. We judge from a limited perspective. We judge from the middle of the chaos, but we serve the Father of eternity who does see the beginning from the end, and I want to assure you that he has a Father's heart. I want to assure you that he is good, that he is your protector and your provider, that he is gentle, that he is loving, that he is full of wisdom and truth, that he is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. That's the Father heart of Jesus. We see him in John 17 interceding for us. We see him in Luke 15, this story of the prodigal son, where the son takes the inheritance. You usually get the inheritance when the father passes away, and so the son is basically saying, I'd rather have your stuff than you. And he takes off, and he wastes it all, but we see the father who is actively looking for this son and who runs towards him. It's the father heart of Jesus. And we see in John chapter 10, this good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. That our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our father of eternity, voluntarily gave up his life so that we could have eternity with him. He is the father of our eternity as well. And so I've told you in a bunch of different ways this morning that he is the father of eternity. What does that look like? What does that mean? Let me show you one more thing. How many of you remember doing timelines in school where you took a piece of poster board and you wrote, on this date, such and such happened, and on this date, such and such happened? You remember doing those? I want you to pretend that this rope here, this rope is a timeline of eternity, okay? And I want you to pretend that it, it just goes on forever in this direction, okay? It, it just heads north, it heads through, through Kaiser, God's country, and uh, through Portland and Washington and all the really cold places, and, and when the earth curves, it just goes straight. It just keeps going, so, so get that mental picture in your head all of eternity in this direction. And, and the same thing south. It, it heads south. It gets through the warm places. It stops it in and out. Um, and just goes. It just ventures on past planets and stars and galaxies. Eternity. So if you can picture this rope just going in each direction forever. And, and understanding that Jesus has always been and, and he has all wisdom and all power and all knowledge and he has been here through all time. And then we get to hear And and this piece of tape represents your life on earth. This is you. And and sometimes we can get so focused right here. We can just just lock down right here. And and we can be like, oh, man, I'm going to work really hard and do really well right here. So that when I get to here, it's going to be awesome. Right here, oh, it's going to be so good, this little part right here. I'll have a vacation house and all kind of great stuff. Right, or, or something you can, you can get to here and you can be like, this, oh man, this just wrecked me. This is awful, it's, it's over. You can look at this and you can be like, this is taking forever. <laughs> but I believe that Isaiah 9, 6 is one of those ver- verses that should just lift our gaze. That, it, that it's not here, that we don't get locked down here. That our Father of eternity has said, guess what? What you do here, what you do here matters here. It matters all the way out there. And so if we could come to a proper perspective of this, shouldn't it change the way that we live? Shouldn't it change the way that we think about our circumstances? Shouldn't it change the way that we pray? Shouldn't it change the way that we serve? Shouldn't it give us This hope that this this isn't it. I don't need to get locked down here. That Jesus, the father of eternity, has always been and he always will be. And he has a father's heart that looks out for me and that loves me and that cares for me. And he has prepared a place for me to be with him through all of this. And so we have a hope in him. And we lift our gaze and we say, Jesus, thank you. I want to read you a quote from uh, C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. It's the last book in his uh, Chronicles of Narnia series. And um, here's what he says at the end of his book. He says, and for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story All their life in this world, all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before.